All right, this is our last uh, couple weeks on Harry Potter series. We're talking about Harry Potter and power, and we're looking at power and how we as followers of Christ are to uh, handle that. And that is a great example of parents abusing their power toward their kids, isn't it? So tell me what, out loud, whatever thought comes to mind when you think of the word power. What do you think of? What, pops, what images pop in your head? Oppression, obedience, control. This was the first thing that I thought of when I thought of power, like displays of military might, right? People, countries will go on parades and they'll put their tanks on the street and they'll fly the jets to let everyone know, gosh, they've been doing this since Roman times, um, don't mess with us. Like, we've got a lot of firepower. Don't mess with us. Or what about this display of power? An example in our history of uh, power taken way too far to the extreme. Or maybe a CEO in a boardroom is a display of power. There's a lot of power over a company or organization. And then there's the physical displays of power, the world's strongest man there physical strength. Anyone, can anyone else do that? That's what my morning routine looks like for sure. Uh, anyone our age remember when they'd bring in the power team, these big buff guys, and they'd rip phone books in half? And then, uh, What about this? Do you think we're throwing a temper tantrum? The definition of power is the ability to influence the behavior of others or the course of events. So now I'll go back to the child. Does the child have a lot of power to influence behavior or the course of events, getting uh, their way? So what do you think of when you think of the misuse of power? First thing I thought of, and maybe it's just because of my role and my title, is pastor. I thought of uh, all of the sexual abuse scandals within the church all of the misogyny, the patriarchy uh, within the church. And uh, these are stock photos. These are not real pastors because I did not want to shame anyone. But that was the first thing I thought of. And then there's the Me Too movement, misuse of power, those in authority who took advantage of their place in authority to get what they wanted, the abuse of power, horrible abuse of power. 500 years ago, in Europe, during one of the most violent and volatile periods uh, of history, Niccolo Machiavelli wrote kind of a manifesto on power, and he said in that book, it is much safer to be feared than loved. In his world, from what he saw, it is much safer to be feared than loved. Loved was seen more as a weakness, and fear was seen more as power. 500 years later, the 21st century, Robert Greene wrote a book called The 48 Laws of Power. And here are a few of those laws. Law number three, conceal your intentions. Law six, court attention at all costs. Law 12, use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victims. 15, crush your enemy totally. 18, keep others in suspended terror. This book got four and a half stars 
on Amazon and almost 3,000 reviews. So psychologist in the room, Lisa, Kevin, help me understand, if you were to do a study on a person who exhibited these behaviors, <laughs> would you say that was a healthy expression? Yet in our society, there is something about power as being seen as manipulative, coercive, intimidating, um, causing fear. But for many in our society, in our culture, that's not necessarily seen as a negative thing. If we are to read a book with 48 laws of power, and these are some of the laws, that they're so manipulative and coercive. And we see that as something to attain to in order to gain power in our jobs and our careers. Is there something messed up I see in that view of power? Hit me, and I'll hit you ten times harder, right? These philosophies of power have totally impacted our understanding of the way the world works, how to get ahead. Power is associated with a need for control. And a lot of times, those who exhibit these behaviors of trying to uh, uh, grasp power are because they feel like they don't have any power. They feel powerless. We see these behaviors here, court attention at all costs, crush your enemy totally, keep others in suspended terror. When we see those behaviors in a story, it's typically in the villain who exhibits those behaviors. But when we see somebody in authority in a, in a uh, political office, in a boardroom, uh, as a CEO, we, um, a pastor's office, because of their title, because of their position, because of where they stand in authority, a lot of times those behaviors are just kind of swept under the rug. And their office and their title kind of gives them permission to exhibit some of those uh, forms of power. Yet if we were to apply those forms of power and put it in a story like Harry Potter, we would call that person Voldemort, the evil villain in the story. But so often in our world, because of their office and their title, we just kind of accept it. It's okay. It's just part of it. In the film, Voldemort says, there is no good or evil only power and those too weak to see it. There are only the powerful and the powerless. And the books describe this kind of power as one of punishment and fear. In the books, we see a character who uses her power to manipulate and punish uh, those who don't fall in line. J.K. Rowling in the books describes this person, power warps people. And Dolores Umbridge is a prime case study for this phenomenon. Her love of power is unnatural, and it's rendered her an unnatural character. And she delights in exhibitions of her strength and prefers them to be at the expense of others. This is from the movie. You know deep down that you deserve to be punished, don't you, Mr. Potter? Power equals punishment and fear. The 19th century, a British historian Lord Acton had an exchange of letters with a bishop in Britain. 
And they were talking about those in office, uh, the king and the pope specifically. And Lord Acton, through his um, studies of history, had observed that those in power are often corrupt. And he was saying kind of what I mentioned earlier, that because of their office and their title, that corruption seems to be allowed. And in one of his letters, he said, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Great men meaning having a lot of power and influence. And he says, even when they exercise influence and not authority, they're corrupt. So why does power warp people? Why does power tend to corrupt? The past 20 years, um, psychologists have started to study the effects of power on the brain and society. And uh, Dr. Keltner is a professor at UC Berkeley. He's become one of the experts on power and the studies of it. And he says that when we feel in power, meaning we feel like we have a lot of control, we feel like we have a lot of influence in the room, my microphone gives me a lot of power and control in this room because I'm the loudest person in this room, right? When we have these feelings of being able to have a lot of influence and control, what the studies are showing is that what we're feeling is a lot of dopamine in our brain. We're getting a huge rush of dopamine, which is the chemical in your brain that gives you the feelings of pleasure. It's a lot of the feelings uh, that are tied to addiction. We talked a couple weeks, about, about, weeks ago about love in Harry Potter and um, how they created a love potion to feel all the effects of love. Really, it was just dopamine rushing through your brain. Same thing with power. Power, feelings of power, is just a rush of dopamine in the brain. Those who feel in power, who feel out of control, are drugged. And the studies have showed, Dr. Keltner says, that when you have those feelings of power, your frontal lobes start to decrease in activity. And those frontal lobes are where we get our ability to empathize with people and where we get our ability to see other people's perspective. And the studies have shown that those who get into a place of power, the ones who are most successful at doing that are not the ones who manipulate and who use fear. It's the people who are able to listen to other people's perspectives, who are able to encourage the people around them and to build on their strengths and the people who are able to collaborate as a team and get people to work together. Those are the people who most successfully rise to the top. And they've studied this in school and high schools all the way up through uh, the corporate world. But it's a power paradox because the people, once they get in top, in the top realm, they start to feel powerful. And all of the abilities that got them there, their collaboration, their empathy, their humility, begins to decrease. Dumbledore says to Harry in one of the books, it is a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Because those who seek power are people who feel powerless and they seek a sense of control and they feel out of control. So maybe the people who are best able to handle that rush of dopamine and not be consumed by it are those who really aren't seeking after that. Jesus' disciples were looking for power 
uh, in Luke 9, in the first century, Rome was the most powerful empire in the world, the kingdom of Rome. And so when Jesus talked about this kingdom of heaven coming, the disciples saw it as an opportunity to get into a place of power within this new kingdom. In Luke 9, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. A child in the Roman Empire is just about the lowest of the social hierarchy. No power, completely powerless. Jesus was telling his disciples, you all are thinking about power completely wrong. Completely wrong. Those who have power in the kingdom of God, those who have true power in this universe, in this world, has nothing to do with being in a place of authority. It has nothing to do with being a title. It has nothing to do with sitting in the corner office in the company building. All throughout history, 2,000 years ago, the story, people have been striving to get into a place of power where they feel control, where they feel that dopamine rush. Jesus says, you've got to completely flip upside down your understanding of what power looks like. There's an exchange between Harry and Dumbledore in one of the books. I don't know, something's wrong with some of these slides. My words disappeared. Sorry about that. Let me read some of it and fill in. Harry said, or Dumbledore said to Harry, it will take uncommon skill and power to kill a wizard like Voldemort. And Harry said, I haven't got uncommon skill and power. And Dumbledore says, yes, you have. You have a power that Voldemort has never had. You can. And Harry yells out, I know I can love. Yes, Harry, you can love, said Dumbledore, which given everything that has happened to you is a great and remarkable thing. You can almost see Harry roll his eyes. I know, I can love, it's so powerful. It seems like it would be such a sign of weakness when you have love versus Voldemort's pure power of hate and his ability to kill at any moment. And Harry's thinking, yeah, yeah, I have love. What's that going to do? The real power is not in forms or exhibitions of strength, it is not in the loudest voice in the room. We have been warped into thinking that in our society. True power is not in saying, you come at me and I will fight you back and hit you ten times harder. That is, if we can somehow learn what Jesus is teaching his disciples here and to be able to look at those moments 
And instead of being scared in those moments and seeing a form of power and strength, if we can instead look at those moments and see weakness, and if we can almost have a sense of pity in those moments because that person must feel so out of control for them to be, they must feel so out of control and weak to be in that space. If we can be able to see weakness instead of strength in those moments and then be able to, in ourselves, exhibit power that looks like the compassion and love and empathy and seeing other perspectives. Power is the ability to influence others. We all hold a lot of power. Power is not something that is given to you, and it is not something that you have to acquire by achieving. You already carry within you so much power to influence people around you through your behavior and actions and words and listening. Abraham Lincoln um, when he was president, the highest office at the time, it was known as the highest office in the world. He held the most power in the world. And he was known for having a cabinet of people around him who were on polar opposite side politically, who disagreed with him on everything. And he put those people in his cabinet because he wanted to hear their perspectives, because he thought, I might be missing something, and I need to hear their voice. That is an example of true power. I may not know the answer here. I may not know the best thing to do. So I'm going to listen to the person who may seem like their ideas are crazy and complete opposites because maybe there's some truth in there. Humility, the ability to empathize and hear other perspectives, that is powerful. If we could just see that and get energized and say, I want to do that rather than seeing someone who is high in office with a lot of wealth and influence and power, instead of seeing that and saying, I want that, we got to see that as nothing to do with power. It's not, it takes years and years of years of untraining our mind and our brain and how we perceive power. It's hard. Did you guys know Pope Francis did a TED Talk a couple years ago? Pretty cool Pope, right? He said in that TED Talk, let's see if the slide is up here. Yeah. The more powerful you are, the more your actions will have an impact on people. And the more responsible you are to act humbly. If you There is saying in Argentina, power is like drinking gin on an empty stomach. You feel dizzy, you get drunk and lose your balance, and you'll end up hurting yourself and those around you if you don't connect your power with humility and tenderness. Through Christ-like humility and concrete love, on the other hand, power, the highest, the strongest one, becomes a service, a force for good. I love that example of power. Power is like drinking gin on an empty stomach. It totally messes with your brain, just like alcohol. So if we can learn in moments where we feel powerful, and maybe that means I'm in a room where I know the most about a certain topic, that gives us a feeling of importance. And in that moment, that's a dopamine rush. 
We're in we're a situation where we know that we're the best suited to do this task. It can easily feel a sense of control and energy and power over that. And to recognize in that moment, dopamine rush. It's a chemical in my brain. All right, how can I notice that and then use my power to influence others positively through helping others build them up and listening them and helping them have a voice. So we have a responsibility as Christ followers to change the power dynamic of our families, of our businesses, of our societies. So that means we're putting other people first. That means we're recognizing the people in society who feel powerless and have no power. And we're giving them a voice. And we're stopping our own voice and saying, let them talk. Let us hear their story. Let us hear their hurt. Start to flip the power dynamic. I mean, think of Rosa Parks. Powerless. African-American woman on a bus. 1950s, 60s. She refused to give up her seat. And that humbling act of power, this woman who had no power, changed the course of history in America. And people saw that and realized their own power, their own potential. And those in authority, those who had power to say, you are a second-class citizen because of the color of your skin. The people in authority saw that, and their power was brought down. Subversive. It was those moments throughout history. This is Christ-like gospel world-changing moments where the power dynamic is switched. If we can do this throughout our days, wherever we are, is to recognize where true power is, where false power is, and where we can help switch the dynamic, turn it upside down. Power is eventually what killed Voldemort in the end of Harry Potter. But it wasn't the fear, strength, might, hate kind of power. It was love. That was the true power that won in the end. The end of um, the Gospel of Luke, during the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was killed, in Luke 22, it says that there was an argument that broke out among the disciples over who would be the greatest. I just read you a passage from a few chapters earlier where they're walking down the road and an argument broke out among the disciples over who would be the greatest. They could not get it out of their head. We have this new kingdom coming. We have an opportunity to be in charge and control and have influence and for people to see us with respect. They could not get it out of their head that this is not how it works. And so Jesus said to them, I don't think I have this up here, actually. I'm going to read this to you. And then I want to do what's called a Lectio Divina. You all heard that before? It's a contemplative practice that goes back a long, long time in Christian history. Where we read a passage of Scripture. And you just kind of let the words come on you and you notice a word or an idea that sticks out to you and you hold on to that. And it's a way to kind of let scripture and let spirit of God uh, connect to you through these words. 
And so they're at, around the table, sharing in the Last Supper. Jesus is telling them that he is going to die. Luke 22, an argument broke out among the disciples over which one of them should be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects. Those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that is not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. So which one is greater? The one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one? But I am among you as one who serves. I, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who holds the power the universe. I am the one who serves because that is an exhibition of true power. So I want to read this again. Think of a word that kind of sticks out to you. Meditate on this. As an argument broke out among the disciples over which one of them should be regarded as the greatest, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects. Those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that is not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status. The leader must become like a servant. So which one is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? We know it's the one who is seated at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. In John's Gospel, during the Last Supper, play of power. He took a bucket of water and a towel and he knelt down and he washed the feet of the disciples. And in that time, in that culture, they would have a servant or a slave who would be at the door. So when people walked in, you're wearing these sandals and you're walking through the streets of Jerusalem in just dirt and mud, just filthy. And so you walk in the house, you don't want to walk, cover your host's home with mud and dirt. So the slave will bend down on their knees and wash feet. Jesus said, as an example of what you will be like in the world, he bent down and he washed the disciples' feet. It's a true example of power, of service, of love. And it is in that context, in that setting, where he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done tonight. I've washed your feet. I've taught you how to live. And he poured the wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink out of the cup, remember me, my life, my teachings.
So our moment of communion of the Lord's Supper is partaking in what the disciples experienced that night of true power and true service. And so as we take communion, I hope that we all can recognize that that power is in us. As you feel the bread or the mochi in your mouth, the grape juice going down, recognize that the spirit, the power of Christ to serve, to love, to change the world's perceptions of power, that power is in you to do that. So I invite you to the front and take communion. Kylie, would you help me? go out into the world this week as a people who carry within you true, true power, the power to love, the power to heal, the power to serve, and know as you leave that you are loved. Go in peace. I'll see you next time.